Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC 274. I'm Paul Shaughnessy. I'm all alone. This is where I'm usually sitting or standing whenever I uh, do all of Pat's shows. Uh, Pat's on vacation. He's in France, uh, France smoking de long cigarettes. But uh, we would never leave you guys empty-handed. It's been a tough, uh, tough run, tough month. April is probably the worst month betting I can remember in a long time. And uh, with a little cherry on top, I, get, I was on Jake Collier, and uh, Jake Collier loses a split decision to uh, Andre Arlovsky. Not that my co-host, Cody Safdick, didn't warn me about I knew what I was getting myself into. It kind of played out similarly to what I thought was going to happen. But, uh, yeah, I don't know what deal uh, Andre Arlovsky has with the judges, Cody, but um, I need to be making those types of deals with the judges because it's it's kind of out of control at this point. If it's a split decision, Andre Arlovsky is winning. Yeah, you knew when Saul D'Amato was the last judge that they announced. You knew you were screwed right then and there. But, yeah, I mentioned Andre Arlovsky is everybody's favorite fighter. He's been on the roster since 97. He's fought in everybody, all the stars, from, like, two different generations. Crazy. So if there are close fights, when you fight Andre Arlovsky, they're usually pretty close fights. They're going to give it to him. You can never really scream robbery. You know what you're getting yourself into. But it's amazing to me that he's like 6-1 and one in his last seven fights, only lost to Tom Aspinall, legitimate contender, and currently riding a four-fight winning streak. Like, <laughs> the money's there to be made if you just spam bet on Jarolovsky. But, you know, you have a brain, and your brain tells you that's a bad idea. And then, yeah, split decisions. Again, Paul, what can you do? I, I will agree, though. We were coming off a really hot run. And now the month of April has just been very disastrous. Last week, Andre Feely, that was a big killer for me. Knocked out in 41 seconds versus uh, Joe Anderson Brito, a guy that's 1-0. 0-1. in the UFC. You know, knocks him out in 41 seconds. But that's the game. Crazy things can and will happen. So all we can do is kind of shake it off. We knew that last week was a, a weak-looking fight night card where a lot of underdogs figured to come through. And now we move from that to a decent-looking pay-per-view card where you can probably have a little bit more faith and have a little bit better read so again all we can do is dust ourselves off and hopefully get back on the winning trail yeah let's pitter patter let's get at her we've got the main event of ufc 274 in the main event we've got charles dobronx Oliveira taking on justin the highlight gaichi minus 165 Oliveira plus 145 for gaichi um i mean it's a pretty straightforward type of fight here uh, is Charles going to be able to get it to the ground? If he is able to get it to the ground, my word, who does, who has better BJJ than Charles Dobronx Oliveira? On the other side, Gaethje landing kicks. He's so aggressive. Those leg kicks are going to be an absolute nuisance for Charles Oliveira. It's a situation where I, I like Charles Oliveira. He doesn't even necessarily need to get the takedown. Minus 165 is scary. Gaethje is tough. But um, I think Dobronx eventually is going to find his spot. He's going to find his neck and, uh, and get the job done. I would prefer, frankly, the under two and a half, which is priced at minus 145, though. Um, I think Gaethje either melts him at some point in the, in the first two rounds or Oliveira grabs that neck, grabs a limb, and grabs himself a sub. What do you think about this fight code? Yeah, much of the same. I mean, I, I don't know that it's super straightforward just because there's a lot of crazy things that can and probably will happen in this matchup. I mean, the way both guys fight, you've got one of the most potent finishers in 
UFC history and Charles Oliveira, the UFC submission leader, versus Justin Gaethje, who's literally every time he steps into the cage, it's considered one of the fight of the year candidates. So, yeah, I mean, I, I could see a lot of hecticness. I could see a bloodbath. And there was a time where I would just say, hey, Justin Gaethje is cast iron. Guy's going to fight hard, five rounds, bring the pain the entire time. As long as he's conscious, he's coming after you. And he's going to break old Charles Oliveira, whose heart's not quite in it. But, like, that that myth has been uh, disproven a long time ago. Like, Charles Oliveira is willing to go out on a shield nowadays, fight through things, and, and persevere when he needs to. And that's what kind of makes me a little bit sketchy on the price tag here. I do have Charles Oliveira. I think the fight eventually hits the ground. And when it does, I mean, Charles Oliveira on top of you is going to be a beast. But the way he's fighting is greasy, to say the least. Now you're going to hit him with a minus 165 price tag with it. <clears throat> I don't know if I can come to that. You look at his last four fights, pr primarily four fights to go with Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee's all over him early. But, you know, Kevin Lee is Kevin Lee. And he tends to just gas out really quickly. And, of course, he does exactly that, especially at 155 pounds. Lee gasses out, but it's not like he looks particularly early going to that fight. And then his last two, I mean, Michael Chandler's got him half knocked out. He's down. A lot of refs are thinking about stepping in on this one. Chandler's delivering it to him, but he, he gets up and he gets that victory. No doubt about it, a big power puncher like Chandler can clip him, can hurt him. And then the follow-up Dustin Poirier fight, it's the same thing, Paul. There's there's refs out there that would have stepped in and stopped that fight. He's getting dropped by stiff jabs. I mean, he gets wobbled three times in the first round alone. Like, he is out of it. And then Dustin Poirier, I don't know if he tires. I don't know if he had an injury. I don't know exactly what got to him. But when he stopped putting that pace and that pressure, that's when Charles Oliveira is able to work his way back into it. Gaethje's not going anywhere. He's never going to go anywhere. I'm not worried about his cardio. He trains at elevation. He's always in phenomenal shape. He'll fight to the bittersweet end. That's for damn sure. He's been wrestling since he's four years old. He had a D1 uh, collegiate scholarship once upon a time. Can he go out there and stuff Khabib's takedowns? No, perhaps not. Could he go out there and stuff enough of Charles' takedowns that he could just cause this to be a stand-up battle? Yeah. And if it's a stand-up battle, who do you trust more? His chin or Charles' chin? Probably Gaethje's, right? The reason why, other than horse racing, my boy Charles Oliveira Harness, or aside from that bias, the reason why I find myself kind of leaning towards Charles Oliveira as this moment is that Gaethje's real wild in everything he does. Like, I wouldn't say it's sloppy, but it's it's wild. It's reckless. He overextends himself. He throws fastball right hands. And I think at some point, he just he creates a whole lot of openings for opponents. He only shows, like, career takedown defense of 77% in the UFC. And against, like, Charles Oliveira, a guy like Charles Oliveira, he just needs that one opportunity to get in on the legs, grab a hold of you. You know, he took down Tony Ferguson rather easily. He took down Dustin Poirier once he decided to grapple rather easily. And one figures if he wants to take down Justin Gaethje, perhaps he can. Once he does hit the ground, then he's going to be all over him. Like, Gaethje's grappling is okay, but he got triangle choked by Khabib Ramagamadov rather effortlessly. Mounted triangle choke. I would think Charles Oliveira on his back could have a great potential to choke him out. But, you know, just the price tag minus 165 in a fight that could go all over the place, yeah, wouldn't be feeling it. What I would try to do is similar to last week. I liked Marlon Vera, but I knew the fight would be crazy. I had initially said it that I'd hedge out on this spot. I'd hedge it. The feely blew the ticket. And this week, I'll probably have Charles Oliveira at the top. Who do I trust him to go with? I don't know. Main thing is, is if I can get two, three lines of tickets going into that main event, I'm not stupid enough to let this one ride. I understand the danger being presented. I just got to leave towards Charles Oliveira. And last but not least, you made a great point with Justin Gaethje. He's going to be blasting those legs. He's a notorious leg kicker. Even Habib Nurmagomedov said, oh, man, my leg couldn't have taken a whole lot more of those. Promises when you throw those leg kicks is you open yourself up to the takedown. And when Gaethje fought Habib, he doesn't fight like himself. He's super hesitant. This whole time, he's just waiting for that shot to eventually come. And when it does, he gets taken down. 
uh, Charles would be the same thing, I think. I think he, if he throws the kick, Charles might be able to catch it, convert it into a takedown. Even if Charles just doesn't chain wrestle the way Habib does, which I don't expect him to, just press him up against the cage, get him to make a mistake, and then take, take a rear waist body lock, take the back that out, take a standing back take. Once you take that back, I think it'll be Charles Oliver all day, but five rounds is a long time, especially with Justin Gaethje. So if I can get that far, I'll hedge out. The pick is officially going to be Charles Oliver, minus 165. We move to the co-main event. We've got a rematch, but, you know, it's happened so many years ago that it's tough to say that Rose Namajunas is the same fighter that she was back then. Rose Namajunas is a minus 210 favorite taking on Carlos Esparza. The Kooky Monster obviously needs to be searching for takedowns early and often here. If you're Rose and you're Rose's camp, let's be honest. All you've been doing this camp is sprawl training. Like, you know that if this fight stays on the feet, that uh, that uh, that Esparza cannot compete with you whatsoever. If you're Esparza, like, it's such a... It kind of brings you back to, like, the old days in terms of, like, certain matchups and, and how they play out. Like, this is striker versus grappler. Rose has some decent submissions on the ground, but if she's on the ground against Esparza, that's how she's losing this fight, fighting off of her off of her back, trying to get back up. Um, I think Rose uh, rights the ship here, gets back on track. It's a very, very straightforward fight for her. Um, minus 210, maybe a little bit wide. I see some people taking the, the dog shot on Esparza. I would rather, if I was going to bet Esparza... See if she gets a takedown early. Maybe you get something in the in the live in the live markets. If she gets an easy takedown in round one, you're not gonna get the plus one seventy five. Don't get me wrong, but maybe you can get like a plus one thirty, plus one twenty, that type of situation. Um, if she lose, if she doesn't get a takedown early, you're pretty much starched. So I'm gonna go with Rose to retain or retain her title here. What about you? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it's a favorable fight for Rose Namajunas for sure. I think the UFC was not particularly interested in running this thing back, even though Carlos Esparza had won previously. Dana White's expressed it many of times. It's like, oh, what about Esparza? What about running? But nah, nah, nah. But now the time is right, right? I mean, Rose has kind of fought the same fighters over and over. She got two, two fights versus Wang Zilei, and then prior to that, two back-to-back fights with Jessica Andrade, and then prior to that, two back-to-back fights with Joanny and Jacek. So she's fought the last three people in her last six fights. She needs a quick little freshening up here. They know she's a marketable star. They know she's extremely talented. It makes sense right now to run back the fight with Carlos Sparza. As you mentioned, once upon a time, Carlos Sparza was the best wrestler in the division. You can capitalize on that. You can take down opponents. That was a lifetime ago when she fought Rose Namajunas. And again, Rose starts off well on her feet, but when she gets taken down, she gets overwhelmed. Since then, it's been a lot of wrestling training. And you saw in the last fight versus uh, Zhang Wailei, that uh, she does get taken down five times, but the grappling is obviously top-notch. And what wins her the fight going down the stretch is her own offensive wrestling. It's something that she spent a lot of time working with. I saw this really interesting take the other day uh, going through it. And it was basically all centered around the fact that Carlos Barza actually isn't physically all that strong and that she probably won't be able to just go out there and out-muscle Rose the way that she once did once upon a time. And uh, it ends up being, it's Tatiana Suarez talking, right? Tatiana Suarez, of course, fought Carlos Barza. When she fought her, she's like, this girl's not that strong. She gets away with wrestling lower lower end girls in the division, but against a world champion like Rose, someone's been putting in the time physically down the stretch, she'll overmatch her. It was an interesting take because this is someone that's fought her. And, of course, Tatiana Suarez is the best wrestler in the division. Mm -hmm. 
So when you look at Rose, I think she's made the improvements to her grappling that even if she does get taken down, she's going to be able to nullify her. She's going to be able to work. She's going to be able to land strikes off of her back and eventually free herself and get back up. Once the fight is standing, I mean, there's a huge, a huge disparity in, in the actual striking acumen in favor of Rose Namuna. So she should be able to chop her away. And then interestingly enough, if you look at Carla Esparza, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, well, she got 13 fights in the UFC, right? She's never fought into a fourth round. They've never put her in these big headlining fights. She's never fought a fourth or fifth round. She's never been championship rounds. What she can do is secure two of three rounds against lesser opposition, such as Alexa Grosso, Vernon Jandaroba, Michelle Watterson, Marina Rodriguez, uh, Yan, Yan Jonan. None of those girls have challenged for a title. Um, Michelle Watterson, sorry. She was, she was, you know, at one point considered a, a, a top talent, but you know what I mean? She's fought in lesser talent. She can take them down. She can smother them. I know she's been making strides in her striking, but not enough to strike with Rose. Her wrestling hasn't really gotten all that much better. It's just good enough to still continue to do what she's always done. And against Rose, I think she's going to run into that roadblock. Championship rounds definitely favors Rose as well. You know, she's got good cardio. No, she's able to persevere. And I just think at some point she could get a late fourth or fifth round stoppage, or she could just win this fight by decision. Um, the price tag is what? Minus 210 Rose Namajunas is currently. Totally agree yeah. with it. I think it's a good price tag. You've got uh, the defending champion at just a smidge over two to one. And uh, I, I think the matchup favors her. And as you said, good live betting opportunity too. Whereas like Carla could potentially win the first round, but then I think Rose is going to find a rhythm, find a role, start to stuff the takedowns and make her pay after that. Yeah. Makes sense to me. All right. Moving on down. We've got Michael Chandler taking on Tony Ferguson, minus 380 Chandler plus 290 for El Kakui, Tony Ferguson. Went back and watched the uh, Ferguson versus Dariush fight. And even when the fight was on the feet, I mean, Tony looks washed at this point. It's not, it's not looking great for him. Um, we, we're probably at the end of the line. He is tough. He is durable. I see a lot of people taking Michael Chandler round one. Well, Tony's, what, been knocked out once, and it was against uh, Justin Gaethje, and it was like kind of like a mercy a mercy stoppage in the sense that Tony was just taking so much damage that uh, they said, no, no mas, no mas. Um, it's really, really hard to get to Tony Ferguson at this point. I think Michael Chandler wins, but 80% of the time is a bit of a different story. That's what you have to do to cover a, a price tag of, you know, it's minus 380 DraftKings Sportsbook, but it's minus 400 pretty much everywhere else at this point. Um I think Chandler wins probably not round one, maybe round, maybe he gets a finish, but I am actually been kind of more interested. I see uh, some alternate lines out there for like fight goes to decision plus plus one fifty. It It's going to be, you'll have your butt puckered the entire time, but uh, uh, Ferguson has just historically been super durable. He'll probably eat a whole bunch of shots. You'll think at many times that you're not going to win this bet. And then it gets to the final bell and you cash a, uh, a plus money ticket. That's where I would be putting my money. I haven't put it yet, but that's what I've been considering. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I don't like the price tag as well. I feel like Tony Ferguson is that crazy live dog. And the, I hate to say the word crazy because I think he does suffer some mental health issues. But uh, the guy's nuts. He's nuts in his own way. And he brings the fire. He can grapple. He can strike. He's been a fan favorite for a while. He's a bit of a weird guy, no doubt about it, but like he's delivered the goods in the octagon at a very high level. Is he on a three-fight losing streak? Yeah. Does he look himself? No, not really. 
But the guys he's fighting are world-class. Benil Darius, Charles Oliveira, Justin Gaethje. Maybe you can write him a pass in that sense. It's when you look deeper, you peel back the onion. It's like, when was the last time he legitimately looked good? So, his last fight against Benil Darius, he doesn't look good, right? Gives up three takedowns. He landed 15 significant strikes in 15 minutes. I think it's a career low for him. Uh, striking looks off. His grappling looks off. He gets absolutely smothered and out-wrestled. He does not look himself. Bad performance. The fight prior against Charles Oliveira. He had a legitimate chance. A lot of people are backing him because he's got that pace and he's got that style. Charles took him down with ease, outgrappled him with ease, and virtually put himself in no bad spots. Tony landed 19 significant strikes over the course of uh, 15 minutes. Again, it's like his second career low. It's a bad performance. The fight before with Justin Gaethje. And this in one hand, he puts up good numbers. You know, it was a fun fight. It was back and forth. I wouldn't say he looked terrible. I just wouldn't say he looked great. He got hit by basically everything Justin Gaethje threw. The rounds four and five, he's basically out on his feet. And the referee, as you said, it was a mercy kill. Like, dude, I just it can't in good conscience. You got a family to go back. You can't in good conscience allow you to keep taking shots. And it's deep in the fifth round. So a cumulative damage definitely hurt him. But now he's got wins before this, right? The Donald Cerrone fight. He looks awful in the first round. He's getting beat up by Donald Cerrone. And then Donald Cerrone blows his nose, swells up his eye, quits his, himself. The fight prior with uh, Anthony Pettis. Anthony Pettis beats his ass in the first round. And then he breaks his hand or something stupid and he, and, and he wants out. The Rafael Dos Anjos fight. He got hit 121 significant times. The Lando Venata fight. He got dropped by Lando Venata. This is a whole stretch of every time Tony Ferguson look, fights. doesn't really look all that good. It's that he's able to pull the victory from the jaws of defeat, make that big comeback, work his way back into it. And now what you're seeing in these last three fights is that the magic's not there anymore. It's just not happening. Against Michael Chandler, he's giving up a big wrestling advantage that if Chandler wants to take him down, he's going to. And I, 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 there was a time where I was like, oh, Ferguson's going to be throwing out triangles. He's going to be rolling for heel hooks. He's going to be doing all this crazy stuff. But, like, it's just, it doesn't work. It's not effective. Like, you can't be going for Imanari rolls. You can't be doing this crazy, funky stuff. And I think that's what's let down Tony Ferguson. His game hasn't improved. You watch training footage of him, Paul, and it's just like ninja crap in his garage. Like he just he, he he's doing like this Bruce Lee work and he's by himself largely. He's not out of camp where he's got these training partners that are taking him to improving his game, doing this thing. He's always just been the best guy in his surroundings. He's Miss Tony Ferguson, off fight anybody, suplex city, snap down city, full of his own shit, right? Whereas you got Chandler moves over down to Sanford MMA puts himself in the fire with some of the absolute best guys in the planet. And you can see that Michael Chandler is still making those improvements. He showed off all types of all types of toughness his last fight against Justin Gaethje. If for whatever reason Ferguson was to show up in vintage form, Ferguson's not a one-hitter quitter. He's a volume guy, right? Well, I think Chandler can take everything he's going to throw out. But Chandler's ability to A, mix in the takedowns, is going to be a good path to victory. But B, you can give up 100 significant strikes to some guys. They're not big hitters. You can't be getting cracked by heavy punchers clean in the face. Uh, Benil Darius, I wouldn't consider him to be, you know, a heavy hitter. Um, Charles Oliveira, guy's got some pop, but I wouldn't consider him to be a heavy hitter. Gaethje swings. Gaethje swings heavy. Gaethje plants his feet. You saw how beat up he got in that fight. Chandler's going to do the same thing. He's going to line this guy up when he's got his head up in the air, when he's on one foot doing some stupid rinky-dink kick, and he's going to blow his head off, right? Dan Hooker had never been knocked out either, and Michael Chandler arguably ruined that guy's chin because he's never been the same since. Ferguson's 38 years old now. He's been taking some beatings. He's not fighting the way he used to. 100% I agree that Chandler should win, but I still have difficulty coming up with that price tag of minus 380. Like, he's 36 years old. He fights a half-what reckless style. Mm-hmm. 
and he's taking on a guy that, you know, is still probably considered to be a top 10 talent in the world. So like, uh, you know, is 380 the most appropriate price tag? No. You and I discussed this off camera before the show started. Problem with, well, uh, you know, a perceived reason why maybe we're not having the best run lately is a lot of these lines are steamed up. Yeah. They're steamed up because they're released uh, months in advance. People are on them especially quickly, for paper, right? Especially for pay-per-views. Yeah. And you know what the smart thing would do? You and I can't do it because we're contractually obligated to do a show every week. But last week, if you would have just said, yo, hey, Paul, dude, screw doing a show this week. Let's just take the entire week off, not even bet any of these fights, and just spend the entire week and hammer these things early for the pay-per-view. Then you just get on this stuff early. Now you don't. You do the show on a Wednesday. You're two days out of weigh-ins. The lines have been steamed, and now we've got to advise you. You're going to bet a guy like Michael Chandler at 380, even Charles Oliveira at minus 165. Like, you know, those are those are going to be some tough fights. But, you know, you, you I don't know. I'm not complaining. It is what it is. We do yeah. what we do, and I think we're going to get back on the right track. I just mean it's kind of a deep price tag for me at this moment. Well, it becomes a situation where does Chandler win 80% of the time? I'm not so sure. Do I want to bet Tony Ferguson? Not really. Like I, I could no. definitely see Ferguson, you know, if these guys fought 10 times, I could definitely see Ferguson winning three times. Maybe he scoops up like a Darce on like a, a sloppy takedown later in the fight. Maybe he knocks Chandler out. Like Chandler's been knocked out <laughs> by a bunch of dudes. Um, Ferguson hasn't looked great. He looks absolutely washed. He's a shell of what he used to be, but, but yeah, when you start getting in, when you start getting into the math, it's like I don't know if this is eighty twenty, but I'm also a little bit too scared to back Ferguson. Another fight that I want to pay to pay attention to live, more so in the in the idea of like maybe taking a crazy shot on Ferguson as long as he doesn't get like melted in the first like five minutes because Chandler can go the distance. Don't get me wrong, don't his uh, his cardio isn't that bad, but. I expect Chandler to absolutely dominate early, um, probably land big. And uh, if Ferguson survives, things could get interesting. We move on down uh, to the heavyweight or light heavyweight division. We've got OSP taking on Mauricio Shogun Hua. Uh, surprisingly, only uh, a year a year or so uh, separates these two guys, which is kind of shocking because – Shogun feels like considerably older than OSP, but I mean, in fight years, I suppose he is. OSP hasn't been looking great either, though. Um, the line here is minus 240 for OSP, plus 195 for Shogun. Here's my problem here, Code. The legend, Mauricio Shogun, who attacked due to strikes last time out. I was watching that, I was re watching him versus Paul Craig. And, I mean, he was in a situation he wasn't getting out of it. So, what is he supposed to do? Just, like, take shots half to the back of the head from Paul Craig until the ref stops it? There's probably only a few more shots. But just the idea of seeing a, a warrior, a guy, the guy who fought Dan Henderson at UFC 139, seeing him tap due to strikes, it's, uh, it left a, a pretty bad taste in my mouth. OSP has been fighting up at heavyweight, light heavyweight, kind of bouncing around, missed weight at, for uh, his last light heavyweight affair, 207 and a half pounds. So the weigh-ins will super, be super interesting in this one. 
I, I guess it's a dog or pass situation again for me here. Like, OSP hasn't been looking great himself. He's super slow. It's probably pretty good matchmaking, but, like, are you really going to have the cojones to pull the trigger on Mauricio Shogun Hua? I can't say that I do right now. What about you? Yeah, yeah. This is one of those fights where it wouldn't have mattered if you tried to get on this thing a month ago. You need to watch the Wayans. Wayans is the biggest thing. So OSP should win this fight, the rematch. Uh, likely wins this fight. But you got to see those scales because that's that's what's been killing OSP lately. <clears throat> Keep in mind that this is the trend is that he had he had fights booked at 205. And I don't know why he took the Ben Rothwell fight at heavyweight, but just kind of out of the blue, he jumps up to heavyweight. Fights at 240, weighs in at 240 pounds against Rothwell. I thought he looked terrible. He threw hardly anything. He surprisingly dropped Rothwell twice. Like, you know, that got to count for something, right? But at the same time, he just looked extremely diminished, uh, lethargic, not himself, not overly interested. It says split decision, but it should have very clearly been a unanimous decision. Loses that heavy that heavyweight. Drops back down to 205. Does make weight against Alonzo Menafield. Very slow, trep pace. But he knocks him out. Fair enough. And then the Jamal Hill fight. So it's not just that he misses weight at 27.5. It's that he had a reported leg injury coming in. Had a terrible weight cut. His coach is like, no more. You need to stop right now. First time in his entire career. That he's missed weight. I think that screams volumes about how bad the weight cut back down to 205 was from heavyweight, right? He did make it against a men field, but there's a reason why he ballooned up to 240. He's a naturally big guy. And now being 39 years old, you know, you've seen how thick this guy is. Like it's not, it's not gonna get any, he's not getting any smaller, put it that way, right? I think he probably did some bad damage to himself in the Jamal Hill fight. Shows up again, he's not moving his feet, didn't fight a terrible first round, truth be told, but he loses the first round, gets knocked out in the second. And then, of course, moves back up to heavyweight. This kind of comes in at 230 against Tanner Bozer. And I, I didn't think he looked good against Bozer at all. Bozer, not notoriously the biggest power puncher, but overwhelms him and puts him away. So now the guy's lost. He's non-competitive at heavyweight, where he's gone 0-2. He's having a really tough time making light heavyweight, which is the only place that he's, you know, really uh, effective. If they were to offer him some middling guy at light heavyweight, he'd turn it down. It's the fact that they offered him Shogun Hua, the legend. The guy who he beat already in Brazil with that like wide ass hook that come from left field. That's the kind of fight you get excited for. And you say, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll diet. I'll go back down to a five for it. It all sounds good in theory, but his body's going to start to break apart the lower he drops that weight. I think that's why you see these injuries start to rack up and later on in his career. And if he comes in on the scales at two seven, like slight miss, even if it's like one, if it's a 10 pound miss, five pound miss, I'd feel better about it. He misses weight by like a pound, a half a pound. It's entirely possible. It's a problem because he's given away 20% of his purse. And when you make a hundred grand a show, that's significant. You make 10 grand a show, you're willing to give that up. Really doesn't matter. You just want to fight. I, I think the scales would be extremely telling. But that being said, I think he beat Shogun Hua. He's been competitive. He's competitive against Ben Rothwell. He just lost a split, right? But he moved up to heavyweight and at least gave him a go, dropped him a couple times. Beat Alonzo Menafield, of course, beautiful knockout. The Hill fight. Hill is a top three maybe is he a top three or top five light heavyweight in the world one of the best guys in the world right now uh and again i mean he gave him somewhat of a go early on until the bad weight cut and all that stuff caught up to him tanner pose is a heavyweight there's excuses that can be made is all i'm saying when you look at hua there's absolutely no excuses to be made his last three fights have been just a shell of a shell of himself the first fight with paul craig he got absolutely torched in the first round to the tune of a 10-8 round and then Paul Craig gassed himself out. Hua won, wins rounds two and three. It's a draw. The Noguera fight, literally the only guy on the roster that you could match him up with competitively because Noguera is also completely shot to bits. 175 in fight years. 
and going to be a low output striking battle. And that's exactly what it was. Very strong argument, by the way. The Shogun should not have won that split decision, but that's fair. And then he rematches Paul Craig. And this time there is no Paul Craig gassing out and him coming back. He absolutely gets smoked. As you mentioned, he taps due to strikes. That's okay, because I remember he tapped due to strikes versus John Jones as well. It's just not for him, man. Uh, he's a legend. He's one of the biggest pride stars. He was one of my favorite personal fighters of all time. First UFC I ever attended in, in person. I drove out to Montreal, Quebec. Watch him uh, win the UFC light heavyweight title from Lodo Machida. Got robbed in the first fight in LA. Second fight in Montreal, and he won. And it was like Shogun's the man. But he had bad knees back then. And it just it hasn't gotten any better for him. I, he's done a good job of like fighting you know, periodically so he doesn't rack up a ton of damage on him. But when you see him go in there and compete, he's not the same guy. He's not as dynamic. He doesn't have the leg kicks. He doesn't have that crazy shoot-to-box, Curitiba style, move forward, move side-to-side, dynamic striking, BJJ black belt, that knee bar that he got Kevin Randleman with, or Kevin Randleman with or a beauty, you know, a work of art. But unfortunately, that guy's not there anymore. And even though obviously St. Prue ain't really what he used to be, I just think he's been fighting a lot more lately. He's been fighting the better level of competition lately. He's been giving a better account of him lately. And this is a sport of what have you done for me lately? So I got to retain with OSP here. Makes sense to me. All right. We uh, have another Legends fight coming up here. We got Donald Cowboy Cerrone taking on Joe Lozon. Minus 165 Cerrone. Plus 145, Lozon. Kind of thought that Lozon was done in the UFC, to be perfectly honest. Uh, haven't seen him since 2019. And, um, I mean, it was a good performance from him back in 2019. But uh, I don't... I'm more interested in the under in this fight. I think that both of these guys are going to come out there, kind of put on a show. It's minus 165 to the under... Uh, two and a half rounds. Um, I haven't made the bet yet. There's another fight later down the card that I'm interested in parlaying. The fight doesn't go to decision with the under in this one. We've seen with Lozon, like, especially later in his career, obviously he can't take the damage that he used to. He comes out and he's a super fast starter. He's going to come at you. He's going to like ask John, Jonathan Pierce all about that. Um, and Cerrone is a slow starter. It's like if Cerrone can get bombarded early, I wouldn't be shocked. I looked at the odds for it, and I think it was like there was like a 10 to 1 out there. Wasn't as excited, especially like Joe Anderson Brita last week was 22 to 1 to win in round one. I wish I'd seen that. That's insane. I mean, I probably still wouldn't have clicked it. I didn't foresee that happening. I liked feeling myself, but. Uh, I think it's like 10 to 1 Joe Lozon. So, like, they're already kind of wise to it that Lozon maybe comes in, bat out of hell. Cerrone, slow starter, sometimes gets finished that way. Um, yeah, this is a battle of two rounds. I expect Lozon to do pretty well early, bring, uh, bring hell and fury to Donald Cerrone. And if he doesn't get Cerrone out of there early, it's going to be the Cowboys show. Uh, more interested in fight doesn't go to decision and the under two and a half rounds. Then picking a side here for the purposes of the show, I'll say Cerrone doesn't get doesn't get nuked early on and uh, and prevails. But yeah, Joe Joe hasn't shown me in a long time. He hasn't been to a decision since 2017. I feel like if he doesn't get Donald Cowboy Cerrone out of there super super early, uh, the writing will be on the wall. What do you think about this matchup, Coop? 
Yeah, this is an awesome matchup because on one hand, you feel bad watching Donald Cerrone these days. He's not the man he used to be, but you still got that fan favorite in him. And yeah, it is hard to see the old cowboy taking his lumps and bruises. And the same thing goes for Joe Lozon. He's a fan favorite. He's been around the game for so very, very long. Ultimate Fighter season five veteran, I believe. It just he's been been around for a long time, right? Two two fan favorites probably should be retired, but if you're going to match them up against each other, yeah, it's a fun fight. It makes a lot of sense, right? It makes sense to give these guys winnable fights that the fans are going to dig. But at the same time, you're not fighting some young up and comer, some that's just trying to steal your name or add a little shine. Like I I, I get it. For Lozon, it almost seems like your eye favor effect, right? Where it's like this is my retirement fight, guys. I'm going out. They're like Joe, we're going to give you a fight in Boston. Ah, perfect. Retirement fight in Boston for Joe Lozon, dream come true, right? He gets Jonathan Pierce. He knocks him out in a minute and a half. Like, what a great way to ride off from the sunset. Same thing with the California kid. He beats Brad Pickett. I want back in. And he beat Ricky Simone after that when he came back three years later just because you can't sit on the win. It's not a great way to retire. That Fighters will just think about it too long. Oh, I had another one in me. I had another one in me. You got to go out on your back. So Faber comes back and he fights uh, Peter Yan. Why would he, Uriah Faber be fighting Peter Yan? Doesn't make any sense to me because if you want to compete, you want to compete at a high level and you want to earn these paychecks, you're going to have to fight. Dana White's already expressed earlier. This is a loser leaves town matchup. Donald Cerrone loses. He's done. Green the UFC, not you're released. You're done. It'll be a, you know, they talk to you and kind of ask you to pleasantly retire. Maybe they offer you some type of role within the company so that you're still making some money. Lozon. Meanwhile, this is the first fight in three years. He had already more or less retired. If he loses this, I think he just goes back to coaching and, and doing his own thing. And by the way, he's got a bunch of good fighters in the gym. Like he's got stuff to do outside of this. So it's just a fun fight. Both guys should be able to go out there. My thing with Joe Lozon is essentially you the Jonathan Pierce fight. He bum rushes him. He knocks him out. The way Jonathan Pierce is fighting in the UFC now, incredible, right? So it's a, it's a fight that aged excellent, right? The guy's making his debut and you're in Boston. But it's a win that still carries a lot of weight. You got to look at the fights prior to that. So against Chris Grutzmacher, it's the worst Lozons ever looked. He got absolutely picked apart by Chris Grutzmacher. Uh, stopped in the second round after the second round when his corner told him, "Joe, you can't do this anymore." He got hit 128 significant times against Grutzmacher, only landed 48. Bad move. The fight prior to that, he got knocked out by Clay Guido. So Clay doesn't knock out anybody, right? Not something in his arsenal. He'll take you down. He'll grind you. He'll do that. For Clay to knock somebody outstanding with an overhand right a minute, what was it, a minute, minute seven seconds into the round, like, that's a really bad look. The fight prior to that against Stevie Ray, he got outlanded 109 to 46. Stevie Ray, not very good, absolutely picked him apart. The fight before that is a win against Marcin Held, in which he held up Marcin Held's hand after the decision, grabbed the mic and said, I did not win that fight. Marcin got robbed. Did he not? Bad performance. And the fight before that against Jim Miller. Crazy fight, but it was that's a rematch. And that's a rematch where the first fight was absolutely bonkers, crazy pace. And you saw you saw years later from the first fight, the rematch. He just didn't look himself. So so the Jonathan Pierce fight, he looked reinvigorated. He got that win. But I can't deny the fact that five fights prior to that, he looks abysmal. And yes, mm-hmm. he's fighting the Chris Grusmockers of the world, the Marcin Helds of the world. Like, it's not the highest of level of competition. Cerrone, I get he's coming off a loss to Alex Morono, who's proven to be more than serviceable, by the way. But at least he's fighting some of the top guys in the sport. At least he is capable of showing something still. I just feel like he's got a little more left in the tank. I'm also encouraged by the fact that he hasn't had an MMA fight 
in one year. That's significant to me because he fought three times in 2020. He fought four times in 2019. So you fight five times, no, four times in 2019, three times in 2020, three more fights in 2018. His whole career has been a lot of the wear and tear, a lot of these, the rigors of fighting, fighting multiple times. And I think after that fight with Alex Morono, it, it appeared that Donald Cerrone is officially shot. It's good that he took a year off to at least see, you know, are the reflexes still there? Is the ability to take damage still there? Ultimately, what it comes down to is he's a better striker than Joe Lozon. He's more refined. He's got better uh, selection. Think he's going to have the output if it goes down the stretch he's got the leg kicks alone if it comes down to a grappling match he's a better wrestler than joe lozon and of course lozon's a black belt submission artist but is, is he going to submit donald cerrone in an mma fight like i'm not fully sure about that donald cerrone hasn't been submitted in an mma fight uh is it ever is he ever been submitted in an mma fight uh, yeah okay benson I've henderson got, in, i've got in like 30 i've got 37 windows in front of me trying to switch the show yeah the no time. no so i'm not all, all good all good i can't he got submitted by benson that. henderson in 2010 so of course uh 12 years ago he was submitted since then he's been pretty cast iron people will point to the fact that he's been submitted in a couple grappling matches since his last mma fight craig jones one of the top grapplers in the world joe selecki yeah i didn't quite understand that one but Whatever, it's a grappling match. It's just a pure BJJ match. Like, Lozon's going to have to take him down, walk through the strikes, take the damage, grind him, control position, take his back, catch a choke. A little bit harder, I would think. It's hard to have faith in either side just because of their advanced age and the amount of just sheer wear and tear that both men have had. But I think Donald Cerrone is the rightful pick. And at minus 165, it doesn't seem terrible. Fair enough. All right, I'm just going to stick to the under in that fight, to be perfectly honest. Moving on down, yeah. we've got Andre Fialo taking on... Cameron Van Camp, minus 400 Fialo, plus 300 Van Camp. Who do you got here? Yeah, well, I would think Fialo just absolutely kills Van Camp. Um, well, I, I shouldn't say absolutely kills, but anyways, Van Camp's from Kentucky. He's fought in really low levels. So you look at his wins, and some of them show 6-0, 6-0, 8-2. Like, it's not the worst-looking run, but it is, in fact, very low level. He shows some nice wrestling in those fights. I don't know how much of a takeaway I can take that from an elite level. You can go out there and get easy money takedowns against lower-level guys. When you come to the UFC and you're taking on some of these guys that have grappled, you know, they, they might be at top camps, they might be former college wrestlers. That's when you'll be able to really see what he's got. And to this point, I haven't quite seen it. Striking looks okay. His, uh, his grappling looks okay. But he's super hittable standing. And I think that's the real difference maker for me against Andre Fialo is that Fialo is just a big power puncher. He's been fighting, training at Sanford MMA. He's been getting a lot better. You see the improvements in his last couple of fights um, since being released from Bellator and LFA once upon a time. If you stand with him, there's a good chance he's going to clip you and knock you out. Signs with the UFC fights Michelle Pereira. You and I are on Pereira. I load up on a personal level, load up on Pereira. And the whole fight, it's like I seriously underestimated Fialo. He's not as chinny as he used to be. His striking's tight. Third round, he looks completely exhausted. He's in on short notice. His corner's like, how much do you want this? And he comes out and he fights his heart out in the third. Does lose the fight, but I was encouraged by that. Encouraged enough that I bet him against Miguel Beza as an underdog because Beza is a defensive liability. Let's be real here. And if you want to stand in front of Fialo and have some crazy firefight, some point you're going to get clipped. Guy without a chin like Beza can't get behind it. And so in that point, he knocks him out. That becomes my issue with Cameron Van Camp, that he hasn't had a fight. He hasn't had a fight in just about a year, right? He hasn't fought anybody like Fialo in his career. He hasn't fought in 
he's shown to have some defensive liabilities himself. I don't think he's ever been knocked out. Sorry, he has been knocked out once in his career back in 2015, so seven years ago. But I think it's a level thing. Now, I saw some people mentioning the fact that Andre Fialo, he's in a short notice, right? He's taking this fight, quick turnaround, and he's a guy that's had cardio issues in the past. But, like, he, he literally just competed, like, three weeks ago. So, like, I don't think – he took not a whole lot of damage against Beza, knocked him out in the first round, got paid a nice sum of money, went back to the gym, get back going. Still only 28 years old. This is the prime of his life. I think he's going to be ready to go in there. Van Camp making his UC debut, bright lights, a little bit slower. Uh, his head's there to get hit, certainly. If he comes out to a slow start and gets tagged, Fialo puts him away. The price tag, again, is a little bit big just because I expect Cameron Van Camp to just come out swinging. But I think the rightful favorite, obviously, should be Fialo, and I'm not willing to go the other way on that one. And I'm not going to disagree with you whatsoever. Um, we got Chaos Williams taking on Randy, rude boy Randy Brown. Minus 120, Chaos Williams. Plus 100, Randy Brown. Who you got here? Yeah, so technically this would be the first underdog shot because, of course, every card needs their underdogs. And even though it's only plus 100, it's basically a pick em fight. I, I do see myself leaning towards Randy Brown. I've been uh, I've been really encouraged with what you see out of him lately in that he's figured out how to use that, le- that length and that range. I mean, of course, he's a big, tall guy, but he stays to the outside. And he's got an excellent jab, excellent low kick. You just got to be able to use those long-range weapons to your, you know, your best advantage. Of course, when he loses, it's to pretty high-end guys. His last three losses, Vincente Luque, Nico Price, Blal Muhammad. So there's nothing to shake your head at there. It's in the wins. He seems to just be getting a lot better and a lot more comfortable. So against Cowboy Oliveira, two fights back, you see much improved grappling out of him. He goes out there, outstrikes him, hurts him, chokes him with a one-arm rear naked choke. It was like, man, Randy Brown's finally turning the corner, putting it all together. So again, this is a guy I bank hard against Jared Gooden on the basis of Gooden likes to sit down on his punches and swing, you know, a little bit wild, a little bit heavy. And Randy Brown should just play touch, touch, go. Randy Brown got hit by some hella, some hella shots in there. But his chin looked good. He rolled with everything. He ends up outlanding him like 115.85. Striking looked good, looked long. This is not the apex. They're fighting in pay-per-view, big cage in Arizona. He's going to have all that distance to work with. And I think he probably just stays to the outside and tries to outpoint chaos williams williams has got tremendous power absolutely guys just got killer killer power in his hands but that was more so shown in his first two ufc fights alex morono and uh um abdul razak al hassan where he knocks one guy in 27 seconds one one guy in 30 seconds two wins in the ufc less than a minute nice work since then i think you see his limitations he's faster than i gave him credit for of course he's got the big power he seems sturdy seems like he's got a good chin and of course for a guy that basically came out of prison and jumped right into MMA, this guy's actually progressed way better than a lot of people in his situation would have. You can't discredit what he brings to the table. But again, I think when you look at his last two fights, the Matthew Semmelsberger fight, he tired down the stretch. He didn't deal particularly all that comfortable with the length of Semmelsberger. And honestly, in another world, I think Semmelsberger could have won that fight. And then his fight with Beza is actually very closely competitive throughout until he knocks him out in the third and uh, he didn't look himself in that fight. There was no big volume. There was no big pressure. Like, he was winning the fight. It was mostly a whole lot of leg kicks being exchanged. I didn't think he looked great. So what I've got now is one guy with tremendous power but seems to be stalled out in his progression within the sport. And I got another guy in Randy Brown who's been cashing tickets, looking more fluid, looking more comfortable, losing, using his long range to his advantage. And this is another style clash that he should be able to go out there and do exactly that. So, listen, it's probably dog or pass. Uh, it's a close matchup. I do get it. Need an underdog. Going to take Randy Brown as an underdog. But, of course, 
even calling him an underdog is very generous. He's plus 100. Tomorrow he could be minus 105 and be the favorite all of a sudden. So take yeah. it however you want. But I, I do have Randy Brown. Seems like the money has been moving that way. I agree with you. I think if if this turns into a volume affair, Randy Brown probably edges it out. It's going to be relatively close. We've seen Chaos Williams put up 91 significant strikes is the most. Uh, Randy Brown, 115 last time out. He just need that chin to hold up. Um, obviously, he lost to Vicente Luque, but Luque was a... I mean, Luque's going to be a tough matchup for either one of these guys on any given night. So, don't really lose too much there. I think... The biggest advantage he could have is if he can get this fight to the ground. He's shown some glimpses of uh, of solid grappling, which I think he can use. I think he's just a more well-rounded mixed martial artist, so I'm with you. Plus 100 on the underdog, Randy Ruboy Brown, is where I would be putting my money on this fight. All right, moving on down, we've got Big Norm. Uh, Norma Dumont taking on Macy Chason. Big Norm. Has a big price tag, minus 225, plus 185 for the dog Macy Chase on. This one's really annoying to me because, I mean, I feel like Norma Dumont has won when she was fighting at like 135. She wasn't actually making weight. When she's fighting at 145, she's fighting people um, like your girl Aspen Ladd who really aren't featherweights. You kind of, you know, was... Well, Ladd lost that fight for herself in that one. Um, just not really throwing anything, never really going for any sort of takedowns. Going back and watching, I know that, that she took the fight on short notice, but like Dumont taking on uh, Megan Anderson at 145 pounds, another tall opponent, an actual uh, featherweight in my opinion. And when she wasn't able to take her down, there was a lot of, you know, standing cage control, all of that. And it's like the moment that she ate, that she faced any sort of adversity, ate a clean shot, she absolutely just folded. Watching Macy Chase on last time out against Raquel Pennington, I was really hoping that I would be like, all right, here's a dog shot I want to take. And really, there wasn't too much for me to be excited about in that spot. Um, I'm really, really torn on this one. I don't. My, I know it's a women's MMA fight, so this is kind of silly, but I don't mind the under two and a half plus 180. Um, I could see either Norm, Big Norm getting the takedown, fishing up a submission, or Macy Chase on landing, a, landing some maybe some uh, knees and elbows in the clinch or, or just landing something clean and finding a finish. Seems a little bit crazy to be betting a women's, a women's under, but that's my favorite spot in this or favorite betting spot i suppose of this fight um i suppose big norm lots of standing cage control wins a greasy decision in a lot of situations i suppose but i don't love this fight whatsoever do you no no not really i mean macy chase on's moving back up to 145 so what could you really like there? She hasn't particularly looked great at 135 pounds in recent fights. I think she's going to be a little bit undersized against Dumont. I think she's probably a better striker than Dumont in the sense that she could throw more output. She could throw, you know, the, the more diverse range of attack. But she got eaten up by one punch and one punch alone against Raquel Pennington. That was the jab, right? She's just, she's too wild. She doesn't move her head. She's a defensive liability. I think with Dumont, Dumont showed, yeah, she'll probably try to smother you up against the cage. Could complete a takedown. But even in the Aspen Ladd fight, she didn't really complete much of any takedowns. I think she got one through 25 minutes. But 
Her technical boxing is just a little bit sharper, a little bit clean. I think she'll just jab up the middle. My problem here is with Chase on that moving up to 145, she could feel a lot better. She could not have to cut the weight. She could come out. She'd be looking to throw caution in the wind, push a bit of a pace. And I just don't think Dumont does anything spectacular enough for me to back her, but she's got a slight grappling advantage. I think she might have a, a slight striking advantage in the sense of she'll outland her, right? And outlanding your opponent largely counts for lots unless your opponent's landing some big flashy stuff, which I don't really see out of Macy Chase on. But it's women's MMA. It's a fight that you you think under, that's fair. I'm kind of leaning towards the over on a personal level. Chase on her last fight was a submission loss, but her prior three had on all gone to pretty safe decisions. Norma Dumont, meanwhile, her last three fights have all gone to pretty safe decisions. But that being said, this Felicia Spencer fight is razor close, could go either way. The Aspen Lad fight. And, and by the way, Felicia Spencer fought the world's worst game plan. She never tried to take her down. Then Aspen Ladd fights the world's second worst game plan, which is just don't even do anything. Somebody goes out there and actually puts a proper game plan together. I don't think Dumont's all that good. And for that reason, getting to that minus 210 price tag is a is a little bit off for me. I feel like I am going to take her. I feel like I'm going to take her very low on the list of priorities. If you're someone who just likes to chase a dog, this is not bad dog price because it probably is closer to a coin flip or a dog or pass situation. I just feel like Dumont's been doing better recently and actually does fight at 145 and does have perceived advantages in a couple key elements of the game. So she should probably be the rightful favorite, just not to the tune of minus 225. So official pick will be Dumont for now. I'm going to keep my eye on Wayans to see what Chase on looks like. And of course, uh, if you're thinking dog Sean Chase on, I'm not going to, I wouldn't disagree with you. Like, I think there's some sense in that. I just, I can't come to it myself. That's fair enough. All right, we got Brandon Royval taking on Matt Danger Schnell, a fight that's been booked, I feel like, a couple times already, and uh, different things have made it fall out. Uh, Schnell had some sort of issue with, like, the L.A. Commission or the uh, the California Commission and yada, yada, yada. Um, where are you at with this one, Cody? Yeah, so those are all fights with Alex Perez, actually, but it seems oh, like yeah, yeah. he's had some terrible luck he was supposed to fight alex perez at ufc 262 he's supposed to fight him again at some fight night card uh last year last august he's supposed to fight perez again in december that's when he had those medical concerns and then he was supposed to fight him in february and perez missed weight so yeah if you're matched now you have not fought now in a year yeah i think it's one week less than a year almost a year to the date since his last fight against uh rogerio bontarine just because he's been taking these, you know, fights with Alex Perez and they, they keep falling through. So where he's at, I'm not entirely sure. I think one thing with Perez or one thing with uh, Chanel that we always knew is that his chin doesn't seem to be great. He can't take a great shot, but he's done an excellent job of just, you know, improving his striking so that he's not there to get hit quite as much. Moving his feet, trying to use his takedowns, trying to set up some groundwork. Uh, Chanel does a good job of being serviceable. I'll bite, I think, against fairly low-level opposition. His wins... Marco Beltran cut, Naoki Inouye cut, Louis Smolka, I believe, is cut. If he's not, he probably should be. The last fight was terrible. Jordan Espinoza cut, um, Tyson Nam. Again, I don't even know what Tyson Nam's up to. I have a feeling he's cut. And it was a split decision, not a particularly great fight. So he's capable of beating those lower-end guys, um, largely with his grappling, you know, improved striking, a little more volume than a guy like Tyson Nam will carry him the way. But when he takes on these power grapplers, guys that are a little physically stronger than him and better grapplers, they just plow him to the ground. Rogerio Bontran plows him to the ground. Alexander Pantoja, again, same thing, just too physically strong for him, knocks him out in the first. I think Brandon Royval has all of that. Like, I would say that Schnell's a little bit more technically sound than Royval in terms of 
he throws his punches a little snappier, a little bit crisper, a little bit straighter. But Roy Val's just wild and reckless. Like what he does throw is unorthodox. It's over the top. It's stuff you don't see coming. He dropped K. Car France. That's got to count for something, right? Car France is a, an elite level striker. They got a hell of a chin on him too. So I think Roy Val, when he's at his best, he can actually have a lot of success with his striking, just catching you off guard, but it's predicated on catching you something and then shooting right for the takedown. Once he gets the fights to the ground, that's where he excels. Again, when you look at the level of competition that he's beating, he's beating Tim Elliott. He's beating Kate Care France. Tim Elliott's a current top seven guy at flyweight, you know, coming off the biggest win of his career and against Tibgir Ulambekov and moving forward. You've got Kekar France is a legitimate shot at getting the next title fight at 125 pounds. He's in the running. Those are legitimate wins. Losses to Brandon Moreno, the former champion. Loss to Alexander Pantoja, a perennial top five guy in the division. A win over Bontarine, the guy that beat Schnell fairly handedly. This is all good stuff. This kid's operating on a very high level. His cardio where it was suspect at times. I think he's done a good job of improving it. Uh, does train at altitude, getting more experience, figuring out how to put it together. The Bontarine fight, he had a terrible first round, but he fought back. He tired Bontarine out, and he kept going through the second and third. So there's a lot that I think you can like from Roy Val. I think he can beat him standing. I think he can beat him on the ground. Is it a little bit wild and reckless to put a ton of faith into? Yes, but I think he's the rightful guy. Minus 240, don't mind it. I am going to play him. And uh, Schnell's has a way of pulling off the win when you don't see it coming. So if he does, God bless him. He's going to cost me a lot of money. It, as we talked about earlier, April hasn't been the best month because those bounces, those guys you really need to have come through, you know, just can't quite get it done. If Roy Val comes through here, I need him to be one of my guys on this card. If he does what he think he's capable of, I think he can make this look easy and get it inside the distance stoppage. What do you think of the under here? Yeah, so yeah, you just like said, under, yeah. I mean, you didn't say anything until the last second. I had that question queued up in my brain. And uh, and then you're like, and he probably gets the finish. So, yeah, this was the other fight that I was looking at uh, getting the under. Under two and a half rounds. Uh, obviously, you talked all at length about Matt Schnell and his chin issues. Not that Roy Val is like some sort of big-time power puncher, but he just lands so much volume at such a furious pace that something could clip him. And he's got some decent submissions in his own right. So um, I think the minus 145 to the under two and a half, or fight doesn't go to decision, I think is like minus 170. Um, those are, that's what I like. I, I'm picking Roy Val as well to get the job done. Um, Matt Schnell, I, I don't think I've ever picked him though. And he's, he's made me pay a few times, but um, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to get to Roy Val on the money line. Um, more interested in the under, not that, sh sh well, the problem with Roy Val is, and why that under, I think could come into play is sometimes Roy Val sets a pace that he can't keep himself. So maybe Schnell, yeah, not, exactly. Schnell's not exactly a big time finisher by any stretch of the imagination, but maybe Roy Val sets a pace that he cannot keep and then just kind of wilts. So, uh, the under, uh, when I was talking earlier during the Cerrone fight, that there were two unders that I liked. It was uh, Donald Cerrone and Joe Lozon under two and a half rounds or fight doesn't go to decision. Not sure how I'm going to approach it. I may parlay the fight doesn't go to decision between these two fights. And uh, hopefully I can get back on track. We need to get back on track. This um, is a good time to do it. This is, there's no time like the present, Cody, to get back on track. The calf slicer, the Peruvian necktie, the banana split. There are tons of ways to come out on top in the octagon. And for UFC 274, there's one more with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. New customers can bet $5 on any fighter to win and get 
$150 in free bets if they do. So choose your fighter, then sit back and watch the action unfold. Anything can happen on fight night, but with DraftKings Sportsbook, you've got a sure thing for UFC 274. Bet $5 and get $150 in free bets if your fighter wins. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code DOP. Throw down $5 on any UFC 274 fighter to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's code DOP this Saturday at DraftKings Sportsbook. The official sports betting partner of UFC. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, moving on down. This one's an interesting fight. We got Blagoy Ivanov taking on Marcos Rogerio de Lima. Blagoy Ivanov hasn't fought in like a year and a half. He's minus 145 favorite. Marcos Rogerio de Lima can be had for plus 125. Obviously, Marcos Rogerio de Lima coming off of that Ben Rothwell, like first round finish, terrible stoppage. Herb, you bum. Um, Like, I mean, he just didn't give Rothwell any opportunity to survive in that situation. Still pretty bitter. Still riding the bitter bus about that one. Um, Blagoy doesn't get finished, though. And Marcus Rogeri de Lima probably doesn't have a wrestling advantage in this spot either. And, like, that's, that's how when Marcos Rogerio de Lima has been going to decision in a bunch of these fights, why, uh, why is that? It's because he's able to get a takedown and just hold position. We saw it throughout the entire fight against uh, Maurice Green, right? Three takedowns, all of the top control time. But it's like, if he's not doing that, if he's swinging bums and he's not knocking out Blago Ivanov, I've, I really, really, even at heavyweight, maybe his, maybe his gas tank's fixed. I don't, I don't believe it. I think he's still a gasser. And I think if he doesn't knock out Ivanov, who seems pretty much indestructible, he's going to lose his fight down the, down the stretch. Blagoy doesn't throw a lot of, uh, a lot of volume whatsoever. He's, he can be a little bit of a tilting uh, guy to back, but I feel like Blagoy is the side here and is not particularly close. I'm surprised that the line is this close. I haven't bet it yet. Wanted to hear what you had to say, but uh, that's where I'm at on this one. What What about you, buddy? Yeah, I completely agree. I think Blagoy Ivanov, uh, he just the way he matches up against Rogério de Lima can give him a whole lot of problems. So that being said, the last time Rogério de Lima fought against Ben Rothwell, I had pointed out the fact that Ben Rothwell hadn't been knocked out in a very long time since Cain Velasquez, I think, and that that ability to just take the punches and come through and tire him out was going to win Ben Rothwell the fight, maybe second round, but he was going to win the fight. And then, of course, he goes out there and does drop him. I know it was an early stoppage. But at the same time, the guy's got a whole bunch of power. So when you do fade him, and by the way, 100% I'm going to fade him here. Yeah, at least you got you're gonna have to clench your butt cheeks for the first uh, minute or two because he does got that ability to go out there and and slug on guys. But I think if you're Blagoy Ivanov, you look at this guy's story, right? It's like, uh, hey man, you think you're durable? Go fight Derek Lewis, one of the best power punchers that the sport has ever seen. He lasts with him. What about Taitui Vasa, the crazy, shoey-drinking, shit-eating wild man from New Zealand, the Samoan, with all the power in the world. He's knocking out took, everybody. Took all of his punches. Junior DeSantos, former world champion. Guy's got a chip on his shoulder. He wanted to get back in contention. He was still junior back when junior meant something, right? Took all of his best punches. 
What about that time he took a combat Sambo match with Fedor Emelianenko and Fedor was like a six-time reigning champion and hadn't lost an MMA fight in 10 years? And he beat him. What about that time some motherfucker... Oh, I got to bleep that one out. Time code during the Blagoy fight. Some dude stabbed him in the heart in a nightclub in Bulgaria. He was in a coma for a month. Didn't kill him. The guy, the guy is so cast out. You ever seen the movie Snatch? Remember uh, Boris the Blade? You just can't kill the guy, right? That's basically Blagoya Ivanov. He's Boris the Blade. You can't put the guy away. And I think that in itself is huge here because Rogério de Lima needs to just drop them coconut bombs on you quick, right? He's got big old hands. He likes to swing. He likes to put guys away. He's got a BJJ black belt, but it's a fraudulent BJJ black belt. What black belt gets forearm choked? I guess Romanov. I get that, but a forearm choke? Like, come on, it's a joke. The Stefan Struve fight. He gassed out after the first round and gave up an arm triangle choke. His submission defense is weak. His wrestling defense is weak. His cardio is weak. He's just got a killer amount of power and uh, shockingly decent enough like um, takedowns. He, he could take a guy down. In this case against Ivanov, he's not taking Ivanov down. Why? Because the former combat Sambo world champion has excellent takedown defense. Those big shots early, whereas he might connect on a few of them, I don't think he's going to knock out Ivanov. So you have two things happening, in my opinion. Either Ivanov takes his best punches, returns fire, and you got Rogério de Lima's going to fold over, or Rogério de Lima's going to start to tire himself and Blagoy's going to take him down. Blagoy on top of him, Rogério de Lima's going to have nowhere to go. Could be a ground pound stoppage. Could be a lot of just holding the guy down. I get Blagoy hasn't fought in a minute. You know, is that going to affect him cardio-wise? He didn't really have the greatest cardio to begin with. But he's one of these guys that just kind of like kept trucking. It's been two years. I'd like to say he made of improvements. Chances are he probably hasn't. He's 35 years old. I don't know that cardio has improved with him. The beauty here, though, is that he's fighting a guy that's got no cardio and likely has made zero improvements to that as well. So I think it's a super live fight. The reason why it's closer than it probably should be is the two-year-long absence for Ivanov, the suspect cardio, where is he's at. He just He's coming off a couple of split-decision losses, so the judges don't really tend to favor his style. But of course, some people scored the fight for him in the Sakai fight. Some people scored the Derek Lewis fight for him. He's competitive against much better guys than Rogerio de Lima. Yeah, and only- so I think he should be able to get the victory here. But, uh, yeah. you know, middling heavyweights, and we know how that sometimes goes. And the big question that we have is a massive layoff and, and all of that. And yeah, he is not a very exciting or high-volume striker. He could lose round one. This could be a situation where you want to pay attention to... His- does Marcos does, uh, Rogerio de Lima blow his wad trying to finish the unfinishable in round one? And then Blood Goy takes over late. That could be kind of an angle that you take as well. But I'm going to, I'm Paul? looking, I'm struggling to get spots on this card. So, mm. Uh, mm. so yeah, mm. Blagoy is going to be one of the spots that I add when we get off the air. Uh, I, I DM'd you, by the way. I got your back. I DM'd you where you dropped, no, where you dropped the F-bomb oh, for, your te- for your television purposes. The people on yep. the interwebs, they can handle it, but uh, <laughs> not so much on TV. I just had a vision quest jump into my mind here, and I think it's going to win us back all the money from the the month of April, right? It's a long play. It's a long play. It's a long play. Blagoy is going to win the Marcos Rogerio de Lima fight. Okay, part one of the vision. Part two, they're going to book Blagoy versus Andre Arlovsky. Then Blagoy (laughs) is going to comfortably win all three rounds, and and Andre Arlovsky's going to win a split. So we're not going to bet Arlovsky or Arlovsky by decision. We're going to bet the split. We're going to wait. We're going to say the first judge has it 30-27 Blagoy because he was actually paying attention. Yeah. 
The second judge has it 29 20 Arlovsky. Because he's, he's, hold, he's holding a Arlovsky by decision ticket. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the third judge is Saul Diamato. He just woke up right now. But <laughs> hey, Arlovsky is the oldest guy in the building next to him. So let's go with Andre Arlovsky, the pit bull. And then we're going to cash that split decision prop over Blagoy, who will get screwed. And it'll all be good times for everyone not named Blagoy. Do we just uh, yeah? Do yeah, we just that's bet? How, that's how we get her down. Man. Do we just bet Arlovsky by decision in fights that he's like clearly down rounds at this point? He's a, he's a live I, betting animal. In one of my be like yeah, he lost the first two rounds. In one of my gr- one of my group chats, they were yeah, they were hitting plus four fifty, and I was you know I didn't say anything because I'm already on oh. Jake Collier as it is, but I'm like I'm scoring all of these rounds for Collier. And then when I heard it was a split, I'm like oh my god. Oh my God! You knew gonna, right then. You knew, you knew right, right then, then that that it was happening to me. I mean, Jake didn't pull enough ahead for it to be like. Uh, I mean, he should have won the fight. <laughs> Let's buy bygones speak bygones. We move we move on from that. But uh, but yeah, that was a particularly particularly difficult uh, difficult beat. Considering that we're bringing it back up when it has nothing to do. Well, with what we're talking about right now. But yeah, Blagoy will, uh, yeah, that totally makes sense. So we'll wait for Blagoy to be up two rounds and then we'll bet Andre Arlovsky at like 10 to 1 by decision because <laughs> that's what's going to happen. All right, we got Grandpa T taking on uh, Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts. Uh, Grandpa T can be had for minus 120. Danny Hot Chocolate plus 100. Who you got here, buddy? Yeah, this one's going to cost me a lot of money, as I'm sure it always does. Why? Well, what? two things, really. Danny Roberts always costs me money, because when I back him, he just makes bonehead decisions at the wrong time, man. It's, his ring IQ is suspect, absolutely suspect. There's just He's very talented. He was a good striker. He's coming over from Cage Warriors back in the day. It's something that you can get behind him, but just notable, notable spots, man. Oh, my God. So much sharper, so much more technical than Mike Perry, and yet Mike Perry just bum rushes him and knocks him out in the third round crazy uh the nordine taleb fight he got knocked out in 59 seconds right of course these are fights he definitely had shot in the claudio silva fight this dude is dead he's dead on his feet he has no gas left in the tank he's flopping over to his back attempting to pull a guard just falling to the floor and he arm bars danny roberts in the third round just very embarrassing Pereira, you know a fly knee it's gonna happen but prayer doesn't really land that stuff anymore but guys like danny roberts you know there you guys are going to get caught with stuff like that. It's been tough. And then, you know what? I'll give him credit. He is at Sanford MMA. He seems to be still making improvements to his game. He's not all the way over the hill. He's 34 years old. Like one can imagine that he's still serviceable enough, but the wins aren't great. Zalim and Madaya fight was okay. But that last fight with Ramazan Amiv, like, I don't know. Could have gone easily against him. He was controlled up against the cage largely. It's just like a slow bog of a fight. His takedown defense is not all that good. Again, he makes a lot of questionable choices in there. And he's not above just getting grinded out by someone who's below him. Now against Ameev, Ameev doesn't throw any strikes. He literally only holds you up against the cage. So judges are just salivating at the idea of not scoring the rounds for him to prove him a lesson. Dude, you got to do something. That's kind of what happened in the Roberts fight. With Trinaldo, meanwhile, dude's 43 years old, but like he's got an uncanny ability of just grinding guys up against the cage, scoring takedowns when need be, letting his hands go need be, and just somewhat pushing a pace overall. I feel like at 43, he's still got enough to maybe beat Roberts. But if you're going to give me ever so slight dog status on Danny Roberts, I feel like I would have to say he's going to be my underdog number two. I just I have to hope coming off the last fight, he's going to be equipped to deal with the style of Trinaldo. Sanford MMA, of course, is going to have him 
hopefully with the right game plan and being in shape. And let's be real. This is the big octagon, right? They're in Arizona. It's going to be the big cage. He's going to have much quicker footwork. He's much faster. His output seems to be a little bit better. He's a little bit sharper and more linear. He needs to win the first two rounds and just survive the third. But I, I could see this thing going either way. I could end up, I could see it being a decision and it being one of these greasy split decision types. I wouldn't want a ton of investment on it either way, but I think my official uh, go here is going to be with the underdog, Danny Roberts, and just know that hot chocolate probably going to drop a hot, drop, drop a hot chocolate in the apple pie as he tends to do. You know, you know me and how much I love Master and Duba over the years. Just such a legend. It isn't pretty and the volume isn't always there. Actually, the volume usually isn't there. It's usually pretty slow paced. I want to make, I want to up the stakes, make this interesting for myself. We haven't done a shoey bet in a while. I don't know if I'm going to get to the window with a Grandpa Trinaldo uh, bet, but uh, you, you want Roberts? I'll take Trinaldo. I just think, I think done, everything yeah, that deal. you said is a hundred percent true. Uh, Roberts is going to land. He's going to land a whole bunch. He's going to be dominating the fight. And then eventually at one point, like late in the <laughs> yeah. fight, Grandpa T, Grandpa T is just going to land one left hand. He's going to get, uh, Roberts is going to get stank lagged. And, uh, and Grandpa T is going to, you know, be uh, absolutely crush uh, yeah, father time once again. That, that's kind of how, I, like, I don't really want to get there because I'm like, man, he's probably going to be down rounds. He's going to be giving up a whole bunch of, you know, he's going to be eating a whole bunch of shots. He's not going to win the volume in this fight. If he's, I, I'm not confident that Grandpa T is going to be landing takedowns at will either. I think he's losing this fight right up until the point where he gets, uh, where he gets Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts out of there and, and the bad chin of Danny Hot Chocolate shows up again. Yeah, it'll be very much like the, uh, <laughs> like the Jai Herbert fight where, Grandpa T losing that fight. I think I got like plus plus eight hundred or plus a thousand uh, for Grandpa T inside the dis. Or Grandpa T, no, I think it was just Grandpa T money line. Um, like after two rounds, he's you know he's losing, but I was just like, all we need is one one big cleaver from uh, for Grandpa T, and we're on our way. Um, so yeah, should we bet me and you? Um, that's the way I'm gonna play this. Grandpa T for me, I'll never pick against him. Moving on <laughs> down the card, we have Tracy Cortez taking on Melissa Gatto. Tracy Cortez, a minus 155 favorite. Gatto can be had for plus 135. Who you got here, Cody? I think you just got to monitor the scales again in favor of Tracy Cortez. I like her. I like what she brings to the table. Uh, I think that she probably struggles a little bit to make weight. You saw in her last fight against Justine Key, she came in at 126 and a half. So that's a miss where you miss by half a pound, which would indicate that you did everything in your power to make it and just couldn't. And then she proceeded to look very lethargic in there against Justine Quiche. Part of the reason why you like her is you like to back these girls, uh, women's MMA, of course, wh who have the wrestling advantage, have the grappling advantage. I think uh, with Tracy Cortez, someone who's got very good, nice wrestling, I think there's multiple members of her immediate family, like her brothers, were all very high-level wrestlers. And, of course, she's been friends with Henry Cejudo for, like, a very long time. She trains out of Arizona. They're marketing this fight in Arizona. Tracy Cortez is going to be one of these fan favorites, no doubt about it. And she uses that wrestling. On the contender series, Maria Agapova can't wrestle for absolute abysmal wrestling. So she gets the easy money, four takedowns. Vanessa Mello, easy money, two takedowns, 79 significant strikes landed, lots of ground and pound, looks good. Stephanie Egger, 
Um, the three takedowns landed. The ground and pound kind of evaporated in that fight for me. She could get the takedowns when she wanted, but you know, a lot of it is just positionally holding it down. And then the Justine Quiche fight. So Quiche has been, you know, she's one and one in Bellator now. She's no longer with the promotion. She is physically strong, but she does definitely lack the grappling prowess. So I would think that this would be a good matchup for Tracy Cortez. The bad weight cut is everything, though, because now she gets dropped by Justine Quiche, you know, probably because of the bad weight cut. She struggled to take her down as much. She struggled to keep the rhythm and the pace going. And that, to me, she wasn't the greatest performance per se, but it's a year ago. And I think when you're young, and Chase Cortez is 28, trains out of Fight Ready MMA, one of the best camps in the entire world, is going to be the fan favorite. They've booked this fight for a reason. She's still got the wrestling, one of the best wrestlers in the division. That is all going to carry her a long way. Melissa Gatto, meanwhile, so her jiu-jitsu looks pretty legit, but just keep in mind in the Eubanks fight, Eubanks takes her down early in the first round and just neutralizes her. In the second round, Eubanks takes her down and she hits a sweep. Like her grappling's legit. Eubanks is big, strong, heavy, BJJ black belt, Team Lloyd Irvin, and has had a lot of success at a high level of grappling. And she got swept by Gato. Like right then it was like, ooh, we got some serious problems here. Gato's got a striking advantage over Cortez standing by way of she's just going to keep throwing volume, right? Mm -hmm. You saw in the Victoria Leonardo fight, she's got volume. She sits down on strike. She throws power and she breaks the girl's arm. She shows a win over Carol Rosa by first round Kimura. Long layoff in between fights since that, but she's operating at a very high level. And again, her jiu-jitsu is going to be awesome. Is it good enough to just get taken down and submit Tracy Cortez out for back? Not fully certain. So in a fight that, do you want the fighter that's going to be on top or the girl that's going to be on the bottom in a grappling style fight? Because it's going to be a grappling match. Tracy Cortez wants the takedowns, probably going to get them. Gatto's got a very active guard, probably going to fish for submissions. The difference to me is that Eubanks has got bad cardio and gassed, and that's what allowed Gatto to take over. Whereas Tracy Cortez, assuming she has a good weight cut, should be able to keep pace, get the takedown, stay on top, stay out of harm's way. Again, if you're looking for a live underdog, I would say that Melissa Gatto is one. I would say uh, women's MMA, again, you know, could be tight. Mm -hmm. Scrappler versus grappler, both of them will have their opportunities. But I tend to go with the wrestler. So uh, I'm going to go with Tracy Cortez at home. I took the underdog shot on Melissa Gatto. Uh, plus 147. I just think, uh, like, I mean, she's pretty strong. Like, if you look at the mm. at the Eubanks fight, like, her back muscles are are fierce. Like, this is not this is not just like any run of the mill. I mean, she's undefeated. She's eight zero and two in her career. Grappling is super solid. Obviously, she had that sweep against uh, against Sarge. That um uh, sarge was super tired she got taken down i am fearful that 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 cortez can take her down and just hang out in that guard but while she's hanging out in that guard she is going to be fighting off submissions because this girl is very active off of her back if this fight stays on the feet cortez i think is in a big world of hurt i just couldn't pass up the dog money i think this fight's more 50 50 maybe the arizona you know the Arizona home cooking could come into the could come into play in this situation. I'm a little bit fearful of that. Cortez gets takedowns, stays out of submissions, but maintains top control and lose the fight. But um, I think it's more of a 50-50 fight. So I took the uh, the dog shot on uh, Melissa Gato plus one forty seven. Moving on down, we've got Clayton Rodriguez taking on CJ Vergara. Clayton Rodriguez is a minus 320 favorite whereas 
our guy, CJ Varguera, not CJ Saftik, fake CJ, uh, is plus 250. I was impressed by uh, Clayton Rodriguez's ability to... Uh, I thought in his fight on Contender Series, I thought that I was pretty impressed by his defensive capabilities. Guy barely got hit. Um, he was taken down. The opponent that he was taking on had like a decent wrestling pedigree. He got taken down twice, but he was able to get back up to his feet pretty much immediately. Um, and his striking defense looked really on point. This seems like a very, very well-rounded fighter. CJ Vergara, on the other hand, like uh, his contender series fight, obviously he gets a first-round finish. Um, guy swings hard, he hits hard. Takes on Odie Osborne, and uh, round three was definitely coming on. Odie, Odie's starting to slow down, but Vergara has already lost the first two rounds at this point. Uh, what I'll, all I really see for him, for the most part, is like he really throws a looping left hook. And Clayton looked defensively sound enough that I think he covers this price tag. But contender series making their debuts in front of a large crowd. It's a little scary from that perspective. So I guess it's a pass, but I'm picking Clayton to win in this spot. Uh, I do think that he's a, uh, he's a real decent uh, prospect coming up into this division. What's your take here, buddy? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Same thing. I think Clayton Rodriguez at 26 years old, has got a very promising future at 125 pounds. And I'm excited to see what he brings to the table. You watch the stuff from him on the Brazilian regional scene. Yeah. He's technically very sound. He's got excellent knees right up the middle. He's got excellent elbows and tight. He fights good at range. He fights good in close distance. Takedown defense could use a little bit of work, but his grappling seems to be on point. When he came on the contender series, it was like, this guy looks pretty legit. The guy he's fighting was okay, but yeah, you saw a complete performance out of him, right? Um, I think, yeah, bright future, good striking, going to mix it all together. Good, right? CJ Vergara, meanwhile, when he took on Bruno Correa, I wasn't expecting much. He shows in the regional scene again. He's going to come forward. He generally moves on a, on a straight line, doesn't have the greatest footwork, doesn't cut off the angle, the angle of the cage, but yeah, he's willing to mix it up. He's willing to engage, and he has some decent power. He shows pretty much all of his wins. Second-round knockout, second-round knockout, third-round knockout, third-round knockout, gets on the contender series, knocks out Bruno Correa in 41 seconds as a plus-170 underdog. Cost me some money there. And then signs and comes to the uh, the UFC. couple things here is that the Odie Osborne fight, he missed weight. He came in at 127.4, so he misses weight by a pound and a half. And then the first round, Ode's way faster than him, way sharper, and just snipes him off from, from distance, wins the first round. Second round, Ode's slowing a little bit, but OJ just stays to the outside, uses the jab, uses his kick, snipes from the outside. Third round, Ode is tired. And, of course, the guy that didn't make weight is still fresh as a daisy. He comes at him. He puts on a, a, an excellent third round, no doubt about it. But one has to imagine, had he made the weight, could it have been different? I don't know. And also, where was that sense of urgency when you needed it? When Ode was feeling himself, he just sniped him away from long distance for the first two rounds, and that's what I think Clinton Rodriguez will be able to do. Beyond that, Clinton Rodriguez is a badass in the cardio department. That fight with Santo Curatolo on uh, the Ultimate or on Contender Series, mm-hmm. he first round he uh, outstrikes him twenty three to forty, right? Or sorry, twenty three out of forty strikes landed. He outstrikes him twenty three to seven. Second round he lands thirty significant strikes, right, out of forty seven. So he lands more than the second round and throws more than the second round. 
the third rounding lands 38 to 51. So he he's like a steam engine. He's only getting better. He's better in the third round than he is in the first round. Like his volume's not going anywhere. He's looked good all throughout. And Vergara, meanwhile, lost the first two rounds and relied on the guy getting tired. In this fight, he's going to lose the first two rounds and realize the guy's not going anywhere and probably lose that one too. So I would think I'm leaning towards decision for Clayton Rodriguez, but uh, he's one of the guys on the card that I do like, yeah. All right, we've got Fernie, or sorry, sorry, Lupita Godinez taking on Ariani Carnalosi. Lupita Godinez is a minus 170 favorite. Carnalosi can be a half for plus 150. Originally, you know me, women's MMA, I was thinking like, okay, I'm looking for a reason to bet Carnalosi here. And I mean, her last performance... it was it was a nice little performance for her. That was, I would say, the the peak of the Carnalosi experience. Um, and you know, on the feet, she was she was getting banged up a little bit against Estela Nunez. Um, gets the finish in round three. But I was just like, all right, before we bite the bullet on this, because it was like plus two hundred before, and. I was just like, it was plus 200 before. People have taken that value out of it. It was like plus 150. I'm like, all right, let's go back and watch the the Na Liang fight. And my word, Na Liang goes out there, gets takedown super, super early in the fight. Um, Carnalosi, or sorry, right off the gate, right out of the gate, sorry, she eats a big shot and like, and wobbles. Like it was, that. it's a round two finish on the, you know, on topology, but like Na Liang looked woefully ill-prepared, hasn't been back in the UFC um, since that fight. She was like, after round one, was so gassed that like her, I think Song Yadong, actually, I'm not, don't quote me on that, but her corner uh, basically illegally picks her up, drags her back to the corner. Like she thought she was, looked like she was going to die. And then, Ariane Carnalosi is able to, to finish up the job. I mean, my, my general mentality about that was like, okay, well, Carnalosi, super, super jack, super powerful. We've seen with Lupita Godinez, if she's not able to control you because you're bigger or stronger, like the uh, Luana Carolina fight, that's where the, some issues can come into play. Obviously, we're talking about different levels of height here. Altogether, but yeah, the Nali Ang fight really scared me off of the ledge. Maybe if it was plus two hundred, I would have been taking Ariana Ariani Carnalosi with some money here. I'm gonna say for the purposes of the show, I'm gonna say it's a dogger pass situation. Um, but I don't love it at plus one fifty anymore. What's your take here, buddy? Yeah, no, I, I'm gonna agree with pretty much everything there. Like Carnalosi is very strong. She's physical. She shows up in shape. But yeah, her grappling is is a little bit suspect her takedown defense you know that's predominantly the biggest issue with her game is that i mean i gotta base it off the one fight with long yang like you said but they're weak takedown attempts she gets them whenever she wants them it's like a glaring issue for carnalosi for sure and then in the next fight against estella nunez who's fairly one-dimensional with her striking and no gas tank to her so those are favorable matchups you can kind of work a good fight a uh, good game plan together but against lupita godinez at 115 She's actually got really good wrestling. Her striking is ob- is very good as well. Sharp, technical, but she's not willing to engage in prolonged striking battles. She's not willing to go and land 60, 70, 80 significant strikes at need be. She's just willing to land two, three punch combination, 
close the distance, grab a hold of you, take you down. And I can't falter because it's worked extremely well for her. I thought on a personal level, she should have won the Jessica Panay fight. But of course, they didn't score for her, whatever, doesn't matter. Three takedowns, outstruck her, not a bad performance. Against Silva uh, Gomez-Juarez, five takedowns. Against Luana Carlina, the two. Against Loka Bume, five. She's scoring multiple takedowns in all of her fights. This one's going to be no difference. Carnalosi will get taken down. Is Carnalosi's grappling good enough to submit Lupita Godinez off her back? No. No, it, it, really, it really isn't. So what's her path to victory? Sprawl and brawl? Or, or takedown defense really doesn't look good enough to do that. And even if she could keep the fight standing, Lupita Godinez will tag her up. It's that volume probably would last towards Carnalosi. But wrestling, cardio, pace, all goes towards Lupita Godinez. And the price is really not all that bad either at minus 170. Yeah, I'm licking my lips about this one. But, uh, of course, it's women's MMA. It'll probably blow up in my face. Cost me a lot of money. I'll be real bitter about it. But certainly pre-flop, I like it, to be honest with you. Minus 170, not a bad price tag at all. I mean, the price is actually coming back in your favor. So, I I mean, you're never in a rush anyway to do these things as it is. It seems like you do most of your betting later in the week. Um, It feels like, I mean, yeah, Carnalosi was like plus 200 only a few days ago. So it seems like you may be getting a better price as is. So I would say uh, hold your horses and wait on that line to mature a bit. And finally, we got uh, Fernie Garcia taking on Journey Newsom. Fernie Garcia is a minus 150 favorite. Journey Newsom can be had for plus 130. Who you got here, buddy? Yeah, I got to go with this Fernie Garcia. Again, it's a fight that I could, you know, could go many of ways. He's been around the game for a long time. Like, I think he started fighting amateur in 2011. So, I mean, 11 years ago, the guy gets his first taste of combat. But even looking at all of his losses, his, his amateur losses, his last two are both by split decision, right? His pro debut, he wins a split decision. His only pro loss against Cody Freeman is by split decision. And he rebounds by beating a three and four fighter, Marquis Smith by split decision. Then he beats Ryan Haynes, who is nine and six, not very good by split decision. Well, there's your patterns that this guy's in a lot of close and competitive fights. He doesn't really have the stopping ability to put guys away. I know that's a little bit point mood against Joshua Weems of contender series. He knocked him out fairly quickly, but again, that's his first knockout win. First knockout win in his entire professional career. And it was his first time not going to the judges scorecards in his prior five fights. So I don't think he's a power puncher. I don't think he's a big, you know, threat to finishing inside the distance. I think he's going to be there to be in a close competitive fight that goes to the scorecards. And then it's up to what the judges thought they saw. He seems to have a little bit of volume. He seems to, you know, might be able to mix in here and there. It's just, I'm a little bit stumped with journey Newsom because when he came to the UFC, I'm like this, he's a pro boxer. And he's got some decent hands. This guy could not be a problem for people, but he could be serviceable, right? First loss to Ricardo Ramos, at least is a decent enough guy, but he didn't look very good for my money. Then he knocks out Domingo Pilarte like stiff 38 seconds, overhand, right? Beautiful punch test positive for the reefer. So it's a no contest. And then Randy Costa bum rushes him and knocks him out. And now he's been off for a year and a half, over a year and a half. So here's the problem, dog. His last two fights were 41 seconds and 38 seconds, right? Which means essentially in the last in the last 28 months, he's had a minute, a little less than a minute 20 of cage time. Like, what, what do you what do you really know about him? What do you expect about this guy? He's, you think he's improved in the last year and a half? Probably. You think he's would have shown something off had he not got starched by Costa so fast? Could be, but it's like a lot of what ifs, right? What ifs could be not a hundred percent sure. 
And for that reason, uh, no faith, but it's a dog or pass situation to me. That flyer on plus 130 on Journey Newsom again, I think he's got the kind of power that he could hurt Fernie Garcia if they keep it, if the fight standing and he gets these exchanges. Garcia's a little bit wild, a little bit green for my liking. Again, he generally fights to decisions, and they're generally close decisions. He's not some runaway talent, and he's making his UFC debut. Newsom, he's been on for so long, he might as well be debuting again. And again, it doesn't fight for a prolonged period of time, but... I feel like there's something at least more there that I know of. So this might be all the way on the bottom of the PRP, but uh, I'm going to go with the underdog journey. Newsom. Yeah, I kind of agree with you there. And I think what it really came down to for me is watching the uh, Ricardo Ramos fight. Um, kept it relatively competitive against Ricardo Ramos it was taken down, but didn't wilt. But yeah, like, uh, I guess Fernie, Fernie Garcia is like a, a boxer by trade. This is a, it's an MMA fight. So we'll see how it all plays out. Um, I, I'm leaning towards Journey Newsom as well, but there's 15 fights on the card. And I don't necessarily know if I'm going to be getting to get into this fight, particularly with my money right now. Obviously, I'm a little bit gun shy. I got to fix up this uh, this setup a little bit. It's been a bit distracting, particularly trying to write in these time codes on the fly is uh, very distracting when you're ho- hosting the show and uh, trying to think and speak at the same time. But you know, it's a work in progress. Next week, the exact same setup as this. Um, so right now, all I've got is uh, Melissa Gatto plus one thirty five. Or sorry, plus 135 is what is that DraftKings Sportsbook. I caught a plus 147 earlier today. Um, that's all I officially have. I like the under or sort of fight doesn't go to decision in Joe Lozon versus uh, Cowboy Cerrone. Blagwell Ivanov, minus 145. I think that's a good look right there. And uh, Schnell versus Roy Val, fight doesn't go to decision. Uh, I'm going to figure out how to work those into my card uh hit them with the prp cody and we'll get out of here yeah hit them with the prp we're gonna go with chucky o Charles Oliveira, rose namiunas michael chandler Aubin st prude donald Cerrone, andre fialo randy brown dog number one mm, i guess i'll go with big norm norma dumont uh brendan royval blagoy ivanov danny roberts dog number two tracy cortez clinton rodriguez lupita godinez and journey newson Dog number three. As Paul mentioned, there's 15 fights on this card, so like I can't even parlay 15 fights on my book. It caps it at 12. So there's obviously stuff that's going to fall by the wayside. There's also a Bellator on Friday. There's a PFL on Friday. There's an LFA on Friday. There's some better options out there. But straight up, it, just from like a confidence thing, and we can kick the show. Well, we can end the show right after this. But uh, yeah, I don't care about Nusin Garcia, Lupita Godinez. I'm interested in working with her. Uh, Blagoy Ivanov at minus 150. Interested there. <clears throat> Tracy Cortez is going to hit a pass on that one because I want to see the weight. Pass on Roberts Trinaldo. Brendan Roy Val. I like me some of that. I'm going to pass on Dumont. You could pass on the Randy Brown if you don't like that. Although he's a little underdog money, is always good. Andre Fialo. I think I'll play me some of that. Pass on Cerrone. Lozon. Age veterans. Eh, pass on Chandler if you want. You could take OSP. Rose Namajunas. Pass on the main event. That there is six good-looking picks, right? Would play plus 818, right? So we're going to structure this better. I think I might also put out some straight plays, some prop plays, just to not be fully involved on the uh, parlay side of things in case something was to go south. But, uh, yeah, I I think if, especially Ivanov, Godinez, Roy Val, Andre Fialo, Rose Namajunas, Ovin St. Prue, none of them are priced terribly bad. 
think they all have a good path of victory. We just need to start uh, having them click it together. But that being said, you know what? The last time Rose fought, which was UFC 268, right? Mm-hmm. So you and I had Kamaru Usman. We had Rose Nama Yunus. We had Marlon Vera, Shane Burgos over Billy Q. I might have had Billy Q. You might have had Burgos. I think I screwed up there. But we had Gaethje, Alex Pereira over Andre, Andres. No, it was everything but Bobby Green and Alec Quinta. I knew it. I knew I knew that card. I had everything except for Bobby Green and Ally. Ah, yes, the, the legendary back to real estate for you, Iaquinta. Yeah, Chris Curtis won on the card. Imadov beat uh, Edmund Shabazian. We liked you hit him. A PRP. Gary. Or, yeah, so we you wouldn't... didn't hit a PRP, but we had you had Chris one Curtis away. at like plus two something or other. Mm-hmm. And like the Juice eight legger was paying people big bucks. So Jean Vellante hit a guy with a wheel kick or sorry, uh, Chris Barnett hit Jean mm-hmm. Vellante with a wheel kick. Mm-hmm. We had Ian Gary was losing and he come back from the depths. A uh, Melsic bagged a Sarian, put it on. Odie Osborne survived that shitty third round to pull it off. Pay-per-views have been good. You know, last time Rose fought, it was a near perfect completion. Now we got a good looking pay-per-view. I just need to get those bounces again. We just need to pull together, put our big boy pants on. Hopefully come out of things on the other side. So Let's watch Wayne's. We it's your last bit of info. And beyond that, to better pastures, Paul. To better pastures. Lord knows I need to be on to better pastures. It's been a, yeah. April was an absolute abomination. And uh, yeah, I'm a little bit gun shy. Uh, naturally. I think most people, I mean, the longer, like we've been doing this for like almost 10 years now. So it's like, I've been through rough stretches like this. You bounce back, but it's always tough. And you always start you know, doubting yourself, doubting your process, doubting, you know, whether you've got an eye for it. I will say, I do think that the markets have become particularly more difficult these days than they were, you know, three or four years ago, or even at the beginning of the pandemic, like we were, we were, we were rocking it at the beginning of the pandemic. I think the books have really taken a lot more attention towards MMA in the last like two years. And, uh, it can be a little bit more challenging. Those lines move a hell. Of, we used to not even get the lines available up until, yeah. You know, sometimes, Wednesday, sometimes, Thursday. yeah. Sometimes we couldn't do the show on until like late Tuesday night because there weren't even lines posted. And then we would we would say who we like, and by the time the show got released, there was like, you know, they had they had already moved considerably because we were basically breaking open opening odds. They're out there for months. Kudos to people who are hitting them early. Um, probably a smart thing to do if you have time to get ahead to jump in and, and get some early action on it. But, but yeah, let's get back on track. There's so much MMA this week. That's like, you don't have to become overly invested in one particular, in one particular card. Um, that is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show for Cody Saftig. I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.